at it again for another episode of the Best Than Greenway NBL podcast. It's Carl Beston here. Very, very early morning here on the 7th of April. Uh, lucky for daylight savings. Otherwise, God, this would not have been possible. Don't question my commitment to you guys. Uh, 6 a.m. here. Good times. Anyway, uh, on this week's pod, we're talking trouble. The, you know, talking wildcat trouble out in the wild, wild west. A resurgent Illawarra Hawks showing up Melbourne United again and, and stamping their NBL title credentials. The Kings stomping on those ants down in Tasmania. And also southeast Melbourne season dead, buried, cremated. I'll also discuss some uh, NBL free agency decisions with you today as well, which is also super fascinating. You know, that's really becoming the key issue for the bottom bottom five, if not bottom six teams now. Uh, yeah, so what a weekend it was. Um, I know everyone kind of always, you know, the last few weeks, the, the big talking point's been the Perth Wildcats, obviously. Melbourne United are another one, you know, with losses and, you know, etc. But I want to talk about the positive. Uh, here, I want to talk about the the you know, the the kings. You know, is it time to give the kings their crown and scepter? You know, uh, I'm not saying for the championship as of today. Uh, I'm not saying you know, I'm not saying it's a championship lock. But this team is the best team in in the NBL, and I I really do think that you know that the kings are. You know, how would you say the the kings of the NBL jungle. You know, they're, what are they now? Ten wins straight. You know, incredible achievement. That's probably not spoken about enough, uh, given you know everything that's going on in Perth. You know, Melbourne versus Illawarra on the weekend. It's kind of like got You know, I've never seen a team go under the radar for, for ten wins in a row. Like, especially in a in a league now that is, you know, has a lot of depth and is exceptionally hard to win on the road. Their team is just stacked with talent. They, It's not even a debate that they have the best three import, you say combo, uh, in Adams, Martin and Clark. Plus, plus, let's be real here, they've got, you know, the best Australian player in the league in Xavier Cooks, I would say. I know some other people say Creek, etc., but I I think Xavier Cooks is the best, you know, Australian player in the NBL. And if you kind of don't think that this team is stacked with talent, then you're probably a fanboy for your own individual team. Not not being critical, but it is it is what it is. Uh, Clark, you know, in Clark is as advertised. And he's providing them with an NBA caliber scorer, uh, and it's off the bench, which just speaks to this team's talent. My issue, though, with the Kings has always been whether they would get bogged down in their half court offense like they were early in the season. When you took them out of that pace and space thing and they weren't able to hit the three ball, this team, it was an ugly look earlier in the year, right? But Adams being out kind of made them look a lot worse than what they were because the team was built around Jalen Adams, 
and rightfully so from what we've seen this season. The guy has been the biggest contender to Bryce Cotton's MVP status. And I actually think after the weekend, he's in the conversation now to be right there. Uh, like I, I think now it went from Bryce Cotton, 80, 20, 70, 30, to probably 60, 40, if not 50, 50 with Adams. It's really going to come down to the close of the season now. Adams has the natural has a disadvantage in the sense that he I think he missed what four or five five games and then was also on injury minutes restrictions post that but geez like I was thinking Bryce Cotton was the better the year for NBL MVP earlier um I think Jalen Adams is the one real true threat to that the JLA thing was always just a Melbourne based talking point narrative uh which was a bit of a joke really it was never going to come to fruition but Bryce is I'd still say Bryce but geez it's going to be close um just be just on those games but you know Adams going back to that in the half court offense Adams is the best pick and roll point guard I've seen in the NBL in some time and people point back to you know like I I get that Scott Machado was great for Cairns a couple of years ago but I just haven't seen another guy on this level and he's just a guy that you can give the ball to in those situations and and you know you're in safe hands with a guy who can create his own shot and you know take and make tough shots a lot of teams don't boast that sort of talent and Perth are one that have you know obviously had that with Bryce Cotton over time and they've still got it now and that's why they've been so successful too and I'm a big believer in that now and also they showed some maturity as well I think the Kings I know they're a veteran they're not a young team I understand all that but they showed you know some development from where they were earlier in the season where they were able to get behind the Tasmanian like the patented Tasmanian pressure right that they've disrupted so many teams with over the season and has resulted in so many wins for them in Tasmania and the Kings were able to dismantle that like no other team has, right? All season. No one else has really done it. Illawarra had the stomp, a big win there too. But the Kings, it was a you know, it, it was surgical that first half and and was quite frankly incredible to watch. They they stomped the Jack Jumpers and, and embarrassed them on their home court and kind of showed the league who the who the Jack Jumpers really are. They are a good team. They throw some magic tricks at you to try and fool you into pressure situations, put you, and they don't beat themselves, right? But the Kings showed, hey, come on, guys, this is not a playoff contending team. Uh, to the eye, or to my eye also, I think their pace and, you know, pace and transition offense together is is just ramping up with every week. They seem more and more comfortable. Uh, I was very critical early in the season. I wasn't a buyer of Chase Buford's offense. I you know, I was like, how long is Adams going to be? I, I wasn't one of those people who go, oh, you need to move on, you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Those people are insane. But I, I was like, geez, like they got a long road back, especially with ho- how many home games they had to begin the season due to the, the pro, you know, COVID situation across various states and what was, what was and what wasn't allowed. But man, I have to give these Kings their due. I was all in on Perth um, through the early part of the season and I, I was wrong, to be honest, relative to the Kings. Not only you know the Kings the most entertaining team in the comp, 
to watch. Uh, they are its best right now and by some margin. Again, if you to point to the negative side of the Kings, it will be can they operate this effectively in the half court all season given it's shown some issues early on. But all signs are pointing in the right direction. This team is unbelievable. Congratulations to everyone involved at the Kings. Again, I picked Perth in the preseason to be the championship favourite, but but I think that is um well and truly changed. And credit to credit to everyone down there, uh, particularly Chris Pongrass putting this team together. Chase Buford has come along, and you know I I was wrong to question some of the style approach that they had early in the season and uh again like just a, and obviously i'm sure bogut played a key part in bringing he said he did in uh ian clark and ian clark's changed the game uh with this team just so many shooters just just an elite basketball team and a joy to watch really so uh congrats to the sydney kings uh prove me wrong on some of my early season analysis um now let's let's do the Perth Wildcats. You know, all the talk is out west. You know, we're going from talking about a overwhelmingly positive situation in Sydney to now a negative one. Uh, it's the first time in eons that we haven't heard Tina Turner's Nutbush City Limits blaring through the speakers at, at RAC Arena for three games in a row. I think it's the first time since the 90s they've lost three in a row at home. And yeah, there's no... They call it Nutbush. Oh, Nutbush. And there's no leg kicks going on or stomping in the RAC Arena crowd right now. Uh, I'll tell you that much. But realistically, uh, discussing Perth right now, you really have to break it into a how would you say, a, a macro discussion of a general like global perspective of the organization as a whole, as well you know, in terms of you know their performance, the or, overall organizational performance over the last few weeks and the micro that exists on the floor, you know, Morrison and the players, right? In regards to the micro aspect, we'll start, we'll start at the base level to begin with. I don't think things are as bad as they seem. And and yes, they seem really bad. And but but it is really difficult for teams to perform without their starting point guard. We've seen it at other organizations. I, I, I get that Mitch Norton is is not Jalen Adams, he's not you know, he's not Scott Machado, he's not these players, right? We I understand that. But you know, Perth do not have a suitable backup at that position. Kevin White is more of a he plays more of a two. He's not a traditional point guard. He's just a you know he's a defensive bulldog that you can play at the two and kind of play off the ball a little bit. And given he's uh, shooting the three ball a bit better these days, that you can just sort of use him in the wet. You know he he can punish you if you cheat too much on him on the defensive end, right? The, you know, and the point guard is is the floor general for a reason, right? And, and Perth are really, really struggling to get through their shit without him. And as a consequence, we're seeing really low percentage Cotton and Law ISOs trying to bail the team out at the end of shot clocks. And it's ugly. It's ugly viewing at the moment. And it also has allowed teams like C- Sydney did a particularly good job, even better than Melbourne on the weekend of going, you know what, like... Travers is going to have more field goal attempts than Bryce Cotton. 
we're going to make sure Cotton doesn't beat us and Law doesn't beat us. And, and if guys like, you know, your Travers, you know, your Whites, et cetera, beat us, then you tip, you know, you tip your hat, you shake your hand, you shake their hand and you say good game in the, in the words of Andrew Gaze a couple of seasons ago. But, you know, it's, it is a real issue for Perth at the moment. I will say on a, on a, on another aspect of the micro level, I thought they got some rough calls. I, I thought they were on the rough end of a lot of bad calls on Monday night, which is very, very rare in RAC, but it definitely happened on Monday night. Uh, you know, most notably for me was the law third foul, which was really game changing when Jack White simply just tripped over himself in transition on a, on a poor move really and also the no call on the Shea Illy over the back foul on Travers on the rebound where everyone's like oh my god look at Shea Illy Shea Illy had no business being in that play yeah he had no business in that play because he fouled him and went over Travers's back on securing the rebound it was a foul like clear as day it was a foul um on a positive note I thought Hodgson was also really effective in his minutes especially on the glass, and, and he did a pretty decent job on JLA, to be honest. Uh, and that's where the Wildcats have really struggled is on the glass, and he provided something, provided some rim protection. Again, a couple of stupid fouls. We couldn't really see one because the, the camera was focused on Vic Law pass, on a close-up of Vic Law passing the ball in. But, yeah, I understand there were some boneheaded plays and he really needs to cut them out. Maybe we've been saying that for too long a period of time, but he really needs to knuckle down on that so so you know what cats fans out there i, I joke about the nut bush I, I joke about all that shit right but it's not all doom and gloom for you guys on the court i think a lot of these issues are resolved when mitch norton comes back right so i don't think i still think you have an overwhelmingly amount of you have an overwhelming amount of talent relative to other teams apart from the Sydney Kings I think the Sydney Kings have your number on the talent front and they've also kind of got your number a little bit in terms of in terms of game style and and the approach to playing you guys and it shows in the 3-0 record right but again you can fix these things you can tinker with them and come playoff time I still love a team that has Bryce Cotton and Vic Law like in a series with Melbourne those guys are the best two players on the floor. In a series against Illawarra, those two guys are the best players on the floor. And in a, in a series against Sydney, you know what? You've got two guns that can go in there and can and compete with some of Sydney's big guns in terms of Adams, uh, Cooks, and Martin. So, I, you know what? Like, you can't complain when you have those guys on your squad and you're always going to be a shot, no matter who you play, right? However, I, I talk about the micro aspect and things not being as bad as what they potentially, you know, look at the moment. However, I think it's fair to say that the front office have taken a massive L over the last couple of weeks. If people are going to laud the Wildcats front office, you know, they're the best organization in the NBL. And some of them argue it's the best you know, it's the best organization in Australian sport. I hear that stuff every week, right? From commentators, whoever, everyone from fans, everyone says, every, man, our organization, we're second to none. No one can beat the cats. Look at our fan base. Look at our business. Look at the way we do things. Well, if you're going to praise them like that, you also have to call them out when they monumentally stuff up. And... The Perth Wildcats have monumentally stuffed up with this John Brown the second contractual situation. John Brown the second is a great player. 
He's, you know, he puts up decent numbers in the Euro League. I think it's like what eight and six or something like that, which is which is a very good numbers in a league that is, you know, it is far superior to the NBL, right? So you were getting a, you were getting a quality guy in that position. So there's no question about that, right? But the erroneous gamble that the Cats took in this situation was born, either born out of hubris in terms of, you know, like a. They, they thought, we're the cats, we'll just get this done, or it was ignorance in their front office. One of the two, right? And they should have been well and truly aware that this was the likely, what was likely going to occur. They should have been aware that the chances of Brown being able to play were slim and none, given that they had to rely on a FIBA meeting clearance or alternatively what would you say, an NBL exemption to get him to play, especially in the, in the current circumstances. If the need for that 4-5 utility was so great, was so needed, we need a 4-5. Hodgson isn't good enough. we got to go. we got to get someone. If that was such a greater need, then the move should have been made earlier for someone else who was actually available rather than the guy that was still under contract to a team in Russia. And in regards to this whole exemption thing, the whole, it's a war. You know, you hear this war from everyone, or hear this argument from everyone. It's a, it's a war. It's a war out there. There must be an exemption, right? It's so dumb because the only reason why Brown isn't playing for Kazan and he was, you know, inverted commas, available was because of said war, right? He wouldn't have even been on the Wildcats radar otherwise. So you can't ask for an exemption based on the circumstances of war when the guy's only available because of that. It's not like, oh yeah, we were signing the guy um, pre all this, but you know, like he, the war hit and who would have guessed, you know, he wanted to get out of there. Doesn't, it just doesn't compute. The NBL head office made the right decision. It's rare, I, you know, like I will, you know, credit where credit is due. They made the right decision here. And the Wildcats front office should now be ruining the decision to screw around with a team that was on a six-game winning streak and now placing an import who will be crucial for them off the bench come playoff time, putting him offside. And for anyone saying this doesn't matter and that oh, everyone, no one cares about this stuff and it's just the way it is, it, 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 they do care. And, you can, and it was put brilliantly by Scott Morrison with possibly the quote of the year by anyone around the league. This was the, this was the best quote I've heard all year. I'll, I'll play it for you now. It'd be kind of like if your significant other said, uh, we need to take a break, and then you had to sit there and watch them go out with other people. And that's basically what happened. Couldn't have said it better. Scott Morrison nailed it. Hilarious. And that's where the cats are at now. They're, it is a slightly bit dysfunctional. This is all a bit of a mess, but they have time. They're in the playoffs no matter what. Forget the nonsense that they're not going to make the top finals. They're in, right? And they have a few weeks. They have a couple of weeks now to get things ready before the playoffs. And I expect them to be fully ready, but they just, you know, this was a stuff up. No two ways about it. And if the Wildcats were so desperate to fix a need at this position, they should have made the move earlier. Sorry, guys. That's that's the way it is. Anyway, enough talk. Enough negative talk. You know, this week's pod has a bit of good, bad, good, bad sort of structure to it. 
Let's talk about the good. The Illawarra Hawks. Yeah, it's another team from New South Wales. That's a championship contender again. Well, they're sta- you know, putting forward their credentials. It's the Illawarra Hawks. And I, I personally think this is the NBL title dark horse that exists right now. I love this roster. Uh, I might throw in United into this discussion at the same time as they played each other and just sort of it's it's a compare and contrast sort of thing but uh to do it like to look at it that way like drew up wreath just absolutely dominated jla again on the weekend it's a nightmare matchup for the united he just has a bigger frame to physically impose himself on jla plus has the you know he has the what would you say you know the athleticism and and speed to go step for step with him. And Reith also poses a nightmare matchup for the Kings as well because he is bigger than uh, than Martin and Cooks height-wise and length-wise. And, you know, they, the Kings can't kind of push him around either because he's a big frame as well. So you can't really take advantage of that that strength, you know, strength aspect either. So it's it, he presents matchup nightmares pretty much for everyone and he has the potential to be a playoffs game changer early in the season like everyone was talking this guy was a lock for all NBL first team now he's not even in the discussion of first or second team right but I really I think this guy has so much to give and I think he's the player I think he's a playoff game changer uh he's just you know I was expecting him to be better but he yeah I think he can he can really put his foot down in these playoffs and come up huge I think the other really interesting aspect of the weekend, apart from the JLA and uh, and Reith matchup, which I thought was fascinating, the XR, you know, the the Xavier Rath and Mays XRM, you know, to, to shorten it, you know, the chess match between him and the United, you know, vaunted backcourt and Dean Vickerman's defensive coaching strategies on the weekend. It was just a fascinating watch. I, I haven't enjoyed the NBL games as much um, this year because I feel like there's been a bit of a, you know, the parody has been lacking somewhat relative to previous years and some of the quality of the basketball hasn't been as good as a concert. That, and even some of the quality, irrespective of result, hasn't been that been that pretty to watch. But this was a fascinating, this was a strategically very fascinating thing to watch. You know, United went under picks on XRM and he burnt them badly especially in the clutch and and for me he solidified his you know six man of the year credentials I know people want to talk Illy and you know like there will be late talk for Clark as well but XRM has done it all year I I think it's Clark or XRM and and I'd give it to XRM just because he's done it all year um but he burnt them badly he, he killed United against that. Yeah, what, what a defensive backcourt Melbourne United have. You know, they've gotten a cotton stopper, you know, and stuff like Yeah, give us a spell. XRM took them, took them to the cleaners, which also I will say too, it was unusual that I tweeted this at the time that Vickerman benched Delhi in the fourth. I thought it was a really strange decision. Um, and to, you know, again, only my opinion, I'm not, questioning the, the genius of, of Dean Vickerman and the other guys just couldn't contain him Barbara Illy they couldn't get the job done and I felt like maybe a more physical 
and imposing figure in Delhi could have. I think he could have been more physical on the on-ball run, sinking below. I, I just thought they didn't play a very smart game. I think Vickerman acknowledged it in his press conference afterwards. He's like, well, did I stick with that for too long? Um, I just didn't watch it, but I saw that uh, on Jordan McCullum's NBL uh, Twitter account, like his Twitter account discussing that. I thought it was I, I, yeah, pretty much bang on, I think. Uh, Cleveland continues to set the tone for this Illawarra Hawks team. And he's, I, I think he's the most explosive player. I tweeted on the weekend, I think he's the most explosive player in the NBL. I mean, some of his finishes off two feet uh, are just, you know, mind-boggling. He, he is a next-level athlete in the NBL. All he needs to do, if he can just hit that three, corner three with a bit more regularity, you know, this... Get, this team will get even more and more dangerous. But you you got to love what he's bringing and the energy he's bringing. In, in, the Hawks have been facing a task that no one thought they could sort of get over and that Southeast Melbourne would get into the playoffs. I was there too. I thought Southeast Melbourne would get in as I thought the schedule was pretty easy. I wasn't expecting Illawarra to win two games in Melbourne. You know, uh, I thought a split might be possible, but but not two games. And I just think this team is ready to go. Uh, they're they're ready to challenge. If I was going to poke holes in the Illawarra Hawks as to why they can't win the title, if I was you know if I go what what are the negatives of the Hawks? The first is that XRM is a shot creating point guard, right? And we saw what he can do on the weekend without Harvey. This guy can take over a team, can be the best player on a team, and and can drag you over the finish line, right? But the question is the fit between two of them, right? They have two great players in Harvey and XRM, right? But, you know, how does the fit work between two dominant shot-creating point guards? And we've seen during the year that has been a bit of a struggle. We've seen a drop-off in Tyler Harvey's form relative to last season. The big question is, can those two find a way for the games to mesh in a way that the Hawks can go to another level where they have two options and they create for each other and one game will be one guy, one game will be the other. you know. I, and then if they can find a way to get that, that mix going, then this team can go to another level and I, I think can push you know, a Kings team and, and the other two contenders all the way, right? The second issue for me with the Illawarra Hawks would be just the depth. I think depth is overrated come playoff time, and Gorgian plays all these guys for well over thirty minutes in a playoffs in a playoff setting. So it's not that big a deal. It's just more of a big deal if you get into foul trouble, right? Because realistically, they're relying on Tim Conrad, who they you know resurrected his career, you know, from retirement on the couch last year. For a playoff run and I'll be honest like, I'm not not here bashing Conrad he's been very effective and and, uh, and you know, he's always always is as a you know he he can shoot the lights out right he's he's always a big time perimeter threat then you're also relying on you know Harry Froling who's been brilliant at moments hasn't been so good at other moments he is a bit up and down right and uh an energetic you know like and then you got Isaac White who's energetic but you know he's a little bit undersized and can be taken advantage of in regards to that. But he, yeah, he does make up for some of that with his effort. Uh, 
Jessup, I love what he brings to the table. I think he's had a great year, not only in his ability to score the basketball and his shooting, but I think he's been really, really good defensively as well. I think he's done a pretty good. Like you've watched him against Chris Golding over the last couple of weeks. I think he's done a sensational job, to be honest. So, uh, and Froling. You know, he's not spectacular, right? No way spectacular. But he's a solid local big. Just, you know, he's a solid local big. So this is the second best team in the NBL for me right now. That's a big call, I know, but you kind of have to make that argument given, you know, Perth struggles and they've gone in and stomped Melbourne twice on their home court. You've got to like what this team brings. And and the biggest X factor of all, of course, that I didn't discuss before is Brian Gorgian. He is a master coach in the NBL. He is the GOAT. He knows how to break teams down and he will come up with solid game plans to play everyone in the finals. And he's also a very effective referee manager as well, where you'll see him, he'll ride the refs, ride the refs. Like, And I'm not criticizing that. Dean Vickerman does it. You know, uh, Chase Buford does it. Scott Morrison does it. And and you have to be, you have to do that as a coach and you have to be very effective in that. And, and Brian does because Brian does it in a very polished way and he also has a long-standing aura in the league and, and relationship with these guys so I, I it's a big it's a it's a factor for sure come playoff time where you know home you know home cooking you know being at home does provide benefits and if you can minimize that benefit on the road or enhance it at home it's a huge deal and and you know he's he's very effective at working the refs in regards to to Melbourne uh harking back to Delhi being benched in the clutches is my concern uh, about the Bubba signing it just adds a what would you say a, a superfluous body to the rotation where, you know where minutes are already minutes are already really difficult to find the move sh- probably should have been made for a utility you know a Utility three four. I'd say a playmaking four, as the White and Peatling combo just is not. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's better than what the bottom five offer, but it's. I'm just not sure it's there to contend with like the Sydney Kings with Martin and Cooks or the like even the Illawarra Hawks like with Reith and Froling. I, you know, sorry, I, I, I'll throw JLA in that mix as well, beyond white. So, but like, if you compare it against the top four, you're going against Cooks, you're going against Law, you're going against Reith. It's it's a tough, it's an extremely tough battle for those guys to fight. They're just undersized relative to these other guys in terms of length and, and in terms of just overall height. And in terms of skill, they're just not at that level. They bring great energy. I actually really like Mason Peatling. I think he's... I, I think he's underrated in this league. I think I like a guy who just goes out there and plays hard. Plus, he has an ability to hit the three ball. He, he has an offensive game. While White is, is better than Peatling defensively, but you know, lacks some polish on the offensive end. You know, in positive for them, I think a Garda is better than what he's shown. And I think the Baba thing kind of isn't, that's a negative for them again because it kind of puts a heart hat. Like it's. You know, it makes it harder for him. It it puts a handbrake on his 
on his ability to find confidence, find minutes. And, you know, Agata's not a guy, like Agata's a guy who's going to work himself into a game. Like he's going to work himself into a game by playing good D, by getting on the glass. He's had multiple games, like what, 14 rebounds and shit like that this season. That's how he gets into it. And I think if you take away from those minutes, you you limit his ability to work himself into a game. And I, I think he's better than what we've seen. And, you know, and at the end of the day, this Melbourne team is going to be reliant on in the playoffs on the offensive production of Matthew Delavadova and Chris Golding. Chris Golding, right? It's just the way this team is going to work. If you know, if they can get twenty from Golding, I keep saying Golding, Golding, then they you know they go a long way towards that. And then if you can get Delhi in the teens, if you get Delhi in the twenties, you're not losing. Right, we've seen this when Delhi's gone insane from the three-point line against Illawarra earlier in the season. Like he hit, what I don't even know, seven threes. Then on the weekend, he's hit more threes against Perth again. If you can get Delhi in the mid-teens, then you're gonna Mel. I don't know the data on this. I have to ask ask around some of the data experts um, if if you've got this, that would be good. But it, when Delhi is I need to look at – I can look at the numbers myself, but they probably know this already. When Delhi gets going offensively, it just does not seem like this Melbourne United team lose. And if they can get Chris and him rolling, they're, they're of course, going to be a serious threat. We saw that in Perth on Monday night. You know, they were both made huge shots and racked up big numbers. And, again, the you know, and the real concern for me is that big guy rotation of JLM White. You know, JLA's cooled down a bit. We're all kind of expecting that, right? And White, you know, he's limited offensively in the half court. He's he's good in trans. He's good in trans, and you can get him out there, and you can, you know, that yeah, you know, he's great. He's great in taking the ball off the glass and going coast to coast. But in the half court, it's a it's a bit more of a struggle, right? Dean Vickerman is another huge positive. I think Dean Vickerman should be coach of the year if he finishes top, in my opinion. This team is not as talented as the other three members of the top four, and his ability to get the most out of them is just fantastic. They are greater than the sum of their parts. And, yeah, sure, Dean has a degree of stubbornness and some weird rotations, which I've criticized throughout the years, but that could hurt United. As we saw in the Illawarra game, like they hurt, it hurt United with the, you know, like benching a deli, for example. Right and and the decision that you know his stubbornness to refuse to change his game plan on going under ball screens with with Xavier Rathamate. Right, but this team is is a collective. Right on an individual basis, they don't seem that great. But his ability to raise them above that is you know is testament to why I think he should be coach of the year. And and there's no question that they are a legitimate chance for the title, especially if they get you know, home court and they get the benefit of, of the cooking that that comes with that. However, it's so, like, for me, it rests on Golding and Delhi's shoulders and their ability to produce offensively. And then you have to hope for some contributions around that with JLA. You know, again, I'm not expecting too much against, say, mine's up against, you know, let's go, you know, Sydney, or Illawarra, I'm not expecting huge numbers, right? Perth, he can get a hold of Hodgson. Hodgson did a good job on him the other night. You know, that's a here nor there. But I, I really think it rests on those two guys and hopefully getting some good, you know, supplementary production 
from JLA getting some supplementary production from Agata plus a few transition points and offensive rebound points from White and maybe a couple of th- a few threes from Illy and you're like, yeah, we're right in this, right? And tomorrow night's throwdown, make no mistake, like, you know, we'll talk about Southeast Melbourne and their meltdown in a minute. Tomorrow night's throwdown's huge. Like, for Melbourne and for Southeast Melbourne, it's just... Uh, I, I think it, you know, I think it's going to be close. I, I really do. We'll see whether Southeast Melbourne turn up or whether they've just, you know, you know, they're hopping into their grave after digging it against Cairns. It's going to be uh, really, really interesting. Let's talk Southeast Melbourne because, speaking of the throwdown, you know, that was their performance against Cairns was the weakest performance of the weekend. You know, after a week in which the job security of their coach was brought into question by journalists. You know, the Phoenix kind of responded with what would you, what, you know, what would you call, I'd say is possibly one of the most insipid performances that you'll ever see from a so-called contender. I, you know, like anyone who's listened to this pod over the years knows I'm not a big fan of Simon Mitchell and his coaching. From day, from day one, I haven't been. Uh, and, I've, you know, I have been very critical over the course of it. Uh, of the co- you know like of not only this year but you know multiple years right I just feel like he has his game plan he has belief in his system and that's cool like I'm a stubborn dude like I'm a stubborn and dogmatic dude so I have some sort of a pre I have appreciation for that as well right but you know it yeah I just feel like he doesn't got he needs to be a bit more pragmatic and a bit more flexible but you know the performance and again not a fan but the perfor- the weekend had nothing to do with him. The performance of that his playing group brought brought to the game, like what the hell? You know, after their leader as a coach has come under fire during a week about his job, you turn up with that level of effort and that weak a performance, like this team was fighting for its playoff life. You know, I keep harking back to the, you know, the Gorgian. We're playing, you know, we're playing for our lives out there. You know, I, you know, it's, that's what the Phoenix are doing. And unlike the Hawks, who have responded to playing for their lives in a positive response, the Southeast Melbourne have just been piss weak. You know, and they're getting beaten on effort plays. You know, on the weekend, yeah, they got picked apart in the pick and roll, right? They got we we all know that, right? They, yeah, but there were effort plays. You're being beaten by a team on effort plays who are a cellar dweller, who have no real motivation apart from playing in front of their home crowd. Yeah, home crowd. You are fighting for your playoff lives, and you're being beaten by that, and you're being beaten by a team that's devoid of talent too. They were without two of their three imports. And you lost. You know, and the Phoenix's total inability to guard the pick and roll has been laughable all season, right? They brought in Brandon Ashley for this reason because then they could do the hard show and recover. And they do the same Dane scene increased minutes as a result of that too, right? But, like, she got killed on the weekend by it and so did, and to be honest, Ashley did as well. You know, Scott Machado picked them apart. What did he have? Let me just pull up the stats. Hold on one second. 
I know it was big numbers. You could just see it watching the game. Yep, 16 and 11 for Scott Machado. This is just not good enough from Southeast Melbourne. You know, it's a team with a bunch of overhyped players apart from Creek and Mumford. Who those two? Absolute quality. High standard. Like Creek is all NBL second or first team this year. Mumford is on the fringe of it. You know, there are a lot of guard spots, so Mumford, you know, could be discussed on the second team, I think. You know, and oh it was just it was frustrating. Because, you know, it was just awful decision-making down the stretch as well when cans were basically putting on the choke of all chokes. Yeah. Uh, wasn't good. They need, you know, they need a huge showing in the throwdown tonight. They really, really do. Uh, and I, I think we will get it from them. Call me overly positive on the Phoenix. I said they'd win the majority of their games coming home. I actually predicted them to win this game when I did the rundown with uh, with Michael Huben of the pick and roll a few weeks ago on the pod. But it's hard to have faith anymore, right? And I kind of feel foolish, you know, like having them as, oh, they're getting in the four and let alone giving them a shot in the throwdown tonight. But, hey, you know, what a fool believes is, is the Doobie Brothers one said, yeah. But yeah, let's do final. Just looking at my rundown sheet. Let's do free agency was another big talking point on the weekend. I'll just do this before I do my picks of the week. I'll go into the free agency period with more detail over the coming weeks. I think I'm maybe doing another pod with Michael about that. We'll break down each roster, who's available, who's not. Pretty much the whole league's available, and what each roster should be looking at, and how they should be building for next year, and the lessons they should be learning. Right, but you know, before all of that, we'll do that in a few weeks' time. But you know, I want to you know really focus in on two on a couple of points that were made. You know, big talking points out of the weekend from commentary teams regarding free agency coming up. Uh, we had discussion about the value of Lamar Patterson, about the value of Keanu Pinder, and the value of Bullcoil. Right, I'll I'll discuss Patterson first, I think, and then sort of put, you know, Pinder and Qual. It's sort of the same. You can sort of have the same discussion about both of them in the, in the same context, right? But Patterson is sort of different. So Shane Hill has always brought up Lamar Patterson, like. I think Shane is a really good commentator, but it's pretty clear that he's had a vendetta against Patterson for years now. And you can also add his mate Derek Rucker to the Annie Patterson voice list, right? If you listened on the weekend, he'll questioned if anyone in the NBL would be interested in Patterson in free agency if he if the Bullets decided to let him go. Uh, essentially implying that they wouldn't. No one would, right? He wanted that answer from people. While Rucker, on the other hand, went even further, suggesting that the Bullets and Patterson should part ways on the, you know, when was the game? The game was on Sunday, and they said, like, tomorrow, on the Monday. I've, you know, pretty extreme. Pretty extreme takes from both of them. And I found it rather ironic that Heal asked that question while the Bullets were, like, playing the 36ers. Like, if Patterson signed with Adelaide today, right, not only would he be their best import, he'd be their best player, period, right? He'd be the best player on that roster. 
So, of course, the Adelaide 36ers could use Lamar Patterson right now, let alone next season. Patterson is top 10. I looked at this stat before. I, I got this here on the rundown in the notes that Patterson is top 10 in points and assists in the league. What do Bullets fans and what do Shane Hill, what does Derek Rucker, do that, how do they replace that product? How do they get that? They, they're not going to get that on a second, you know, second import in terms of pay, I'd assume, this year to Franks. And you know the only two other players in the top 10 in points and assists in the entire NBL, the only two other players in Patterson's company in achieving that, you know who they are? They're the two MVP contenders in Bryce Cotton and Jalen Adams. Pretty good company, if you ask me. So for me, it's just ridiculous garbage from Hammer and Rucker. You know, everyone barring Sydney, maybe Illawarra, could could use Patterson's services today, right? Like Melbourne United, for example, like they have a lack of shot creators and like creators in general off the dribble. You could slot him into that team today at the three or the four and they would be like, I would say there would be an even bigger championship contender, right? And I'm just kind of sick of this shit hearing them bash Patterson, right? While they hype up their mates and clients and stuff. How many times this season we heard about Rucker working with Isaiah Moss? That's going well. Spare me, seriously. All they want to do is shit on Patterson and, and James Duncan. You hear it every week. That it's just shit on these guys to cover for their failings. They did, I, I believe there was some discussion about this on Twitter as well, like where someone attacked Shane. I, I think it was might have been Cal Bruton for being overly critical of for being overly critical of James Duncan and uh and CJ Bruton his son. Right? Uh it just feels to me that they're trying to cover for all these failings of all these local guys and also of you know imports who they work with uh, just to cover their failing failings. And I think if the Bullets want to get serious sort of this offseason, they need to re-sign Franks and Patterson plus get a third quality import uh, at the point guard or centre position and cull the Aussie Deadwood that has sort of plagued the bullets clogging up their roster year after year after year. We've seen it, right? It's just that's been their biggest issue for some time. So I, I think the Brisbane Bullets should bring back Patterson, should bring back Franks, and then go search at one and five for an import, and then try and find another Aussie in the market they can sort of fit in there and get the job done. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll talk about Brisbane and free agency in coming weeks. Uh, I'll, I'll get Michael on to discuss that as well uh the other interesting one in the free agency was a lot of this commentary about how much money pinder and qual are adding to their contracts with their recent playing cams right i've always been a big believer in in keanu pinder yeah ever since watching him at arizona you could see how he was definitely going to work in the nbl like this guy was destined to sort of be a quality like be a very good nbl player and i was high on him at the 36ers and you know like some of the bonehead plays and that you go oh shit my dms are going to fill up now because you know like i praise pinder and then this sort of shit happens but it's a young player making mistakes right 
Um, but you could tell he was going to work in the league. And Quoll is another amazing find. I, I think that pronunciation is right, judging on the commentary. Bull Quoll. Uh, just plucked out of obscurity at Knox NBL 1 by Adam Ford. Congratulations to him. Uh, you know, and he's on the verge of being Rookie of the Year now. A guy that was, you know, as I said, playing in NBL 1 a year ago and was not getting any real attention at all. So, like, credit to both these guys, right? They're making themselves NBL names and, and making themselves solid role players in the league. However, I always get concerned when you hear the price is going up, right? Because I don't love the signings if the price goes way up. I, I, I always bring that into question. I don't think they will, to be honest. I think that's a bit overstated. I'm always wary of spending significant money on role players, which is which is kind of links into my discussion about Brisbane, which I was just you know talking about a minute ago, whose front office is notorious for doing so over recent years. I think we can all say that, right? They've brought a lot of role players on a lot of money, which they... You know, the benefit of Pinder and Qual is that they provide exceptional value on the dollar, right? That's what it's about. You're getting these guys on minimums. They're not wanted anywhere else. And therefore, this production is over and above what you paid for them, right? But if the price goes up significantly, the ROI on them plummets. And it will plummet if you spend big money on these guys. And the, the same went for sort of like, the remember the, there was all the Liafa talk last year about the same thing. The price is going up, man. And, and that's fair. Like these guys, I don't begrudge anyone going and getting their money. They should go get their money. And if the team is willing to, you know, a, a val, you know what's the value? Value is, you know, price someone is willing to pay, right? And, and I want some team to go get these guys, get their money. But if I was the GM, I'd just be very cautious. Uh in offering bucket loads of cash to role players who might not fit my system and my coach's system. And to be honest, I don't think there'll be a big market for them at, at you know, and an increased prices. It seems like they are very much a cans fit. And I think Liam Santa Maria made that point on, on the broadcast too, where he's like, you know what? Like, I hope they can increase the price while also maintaining things in cans uh, just because it seems like that's the perfect place for them. And to me, that's that's where they should be. It kind of fits. And to be honest, I don't see how the fit there will transfer to the big dog teams. I just don't. I, I don't think there is value for that. You know, there's no valuing signing them to the top four plus probably Southeast Melbourne and Tasmania, right? So the mid tables and even Brisbane, the mid tables, there's not, there's not really a fit there. More probably more of a qual fit in Brisbane than in than uh than Pinder, but maybe. So yeah, I would just say v- tread very carefully. Um, in this free agency period, is pretty much everyone is up for grabs, and you know that kind of reduces everyone's value too, because there's so much out there that you know teams can play hardball a little bit more. So yeah, it's going to be. I think it's going to be the most fascinating NBL free agency period we've seen in a very long time. It's unbelievable. I'll break it down for you next week. 
Uh, I'm sure some pod, other pod will probably steal my idea before then, but hey, it's all good. It's not, it's not my idea, I know, but someone else will probably try and do it before I do it, but we'll see. It'll be up. I, I'm hoping to do it either next week or the week after. Probably the week after, actually. I have something else lined up for next week. Okay, let's do picks of the week here. Let's go. Um, I just got to pull up the games again. I haven't got them. I went through them earlier, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't actually make. There's no rundown on this or anything. Uh, Southeast Melbourne at home to Melbourne throwdown XV or whatever. Are we going to do that? Like the Roman numerals for every throwdown, like it's the Super Bowl. What is this? Seriously, uh, it's just another throwdown. Let's go. So throwdown tonight. I actually give Southeast Melbourne a shot in this one. Uh, I think I heard yesterday the availability of Ryan Brockoff. He's not ready yet is what I sort of heard. So that would make me lean towards United. I think this is going to be a lot closer than what people think. I think the Phoenix uh, will push United to the limit. But And you know what? I give the Phoenix a real chance of victory. This might sound like me hedging my bets here. Uh I think United win. I wouldn't be betting on this game, obviously. I just think it's too close to call and the odds are too short on United at $1.50. I, I do think the Phoenix are, are a chance in this game, but I just can't pick the Phoenix based on their performance last. You know, I just see the holes a bit there and I think they respond and they come up big tonight, the Phoenix, but I'm just not sure it'll be enough. I'm picking United. Second game of the week, Perth Wildcats at home to the New Zealand Breakers at RAC Arena. That's tonight, sorry. Yep, the game. Uh, and I'm taking the Perth Wildcats in this one. If we haven't heard the Nutbush City for three games in a row, uh, we will be hearing it tonight, is my opinion. Probably a bit earlier than usual. I think the Cats respond tonight. Very strong words from Morrison uh, in, the, you know, in the press yesterday. So I think... Cats win. Cats win relatively comfortably. And New Zealand looked really, really bad the other night against Cairns. So I'm picking the Cats in that one. The next one is Tasmania at home to Cairns at My State Bank Arena. I'm picking Tasmania. I just think this team, they bring effort every night. I know Cairns are too, but they're due a win. I think they respond off a horrific loss to the King, an embarrassing loss to the Kings on the weekend. I'm picking Tasmania in that one. Then the next game, we've got the Bullets at home to the Hawks. This is actually probably, apart from the throwdown, the game of the weekend for me because the Bullets are a prickly team at home. I know people say, they oh, they just beat Adelaide there, you know, and they lost to the Jack Jumpers by two. This team gets up for home games. Typically, they have a very good home crowd, a very good home support. And, you know... Any way you look at it, Patterson and Franks are dangerous and so is Kadi. So this team could show up. You just don't know the Brisbane Bullets you're going to get. And I think this is their last game at home for the season. So I think the Bullets show a lot of fight in this one. I've got the Hawks, but only just. Uh, and then the final game of the weekend, I've got it's Adelaide at home to Sydney. Another, you know, it's a big game. Uh, again, the Kings look to extend the streak to 11 against an Adelaide team that's been, you know, it's 
they are pretty good at home. You know, let's let's be honest about the uh, actually looking at they're pretty. You know, they're not they're pretty awful at home to be honest. Um, I they're not really. I suppose it depends how you look at it. It's awful comparative to the uh, big dogs in the NBL, but they've had they've got home wins on the board against. Uh, They've got home wins on the board against Melbourne United and Perth, so not many teams can say that. So that's a, it's a tough one. I don't think this is an easy, easy. Uh, well, they're six and six at home, right? So they're they're okay at home, the thirty sixes. But I, you know, do they turn up? You know, how many games at home have they got left? Is this the last game? Let's do a check if this is the last game at home for the Adelaide 36ers. Teams always generally show up in the last game of the season when they've, uh, when they're, you know, it's all, it's a final send off for the fans, so to speak. What's the schedule? Sorry, guys. Should I pull this up? No, they've got plenty more games at home. So, no, I'm taking the Kings in this one. Uh, I just think they win. I I don't, you know, you can't argue with that roster and Adelaide look a little bit flat, you know, best best being out. It's just a tough, tough look with one of the best four or five combos in the league in Cooks and Martin. I just don't see how the Johnson, Hiram Harris and Kai Soto combination gets it done. So, yeah, I'm picking the Sydney Kings in that one. So it's... Again, you know, I, I think the game of the round is is tonight, the throwdown. Other game, big game to watch is uh, Illawarra on the road to the Bullets. They're the big ones. If I was asking, if I was wondering who's sort of like the biggest certainty of the weekend, you have to, Perth have to, Perth surely can't lose another game at home, right? Surely. I, I think that we'll hear the Nutbush City this weekend. I think that's, that's pretty clear. And yeah, hope... Good luck to your team this weekend. Uh, it's been another episode of the Best Than Greenway NBL podcast. You know the deal. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, whatever podcasting app you use. Leave us a review. Five stars, of course. Five stars. And if you have the time, please leave a written review. It would be very, very much appreciated. That's one way you can give back uh, for providing the pod i guess uh we'll be back we i will be joined next week by i guess i will be back next week with an mbl betting special uh with a guest and i'm also looking hoping to provide just a general analysis pod as well similar to this one breaking down the games from this weekend and then previewing the ones before uh yeah hope to speak to you then uh enjoy round 19 guys